Welcome everyone to the Disco Posse Podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. All right, welcome everybody, and we are back. This is the Disco Posse Podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, for folks that are brand new to it, you can always catch up on where we are. You can go to discopossepodcast.com. Uh, you can see the, the show listings. Uh, you can also just go to my website, discopossi.com. You'll see show notes, links to the podcast. Please subscribe if you can. It's always helpful to know that we're getting, we're watching those listeners uh, tick up, which is very exciting. And if you've got any feedback, you can drop the comments uh, on any of the blog posts or on the actual podcast site itself. Uh, or you can also DM me through Twitter. Uh, again, my name is Eric Wright, and I'm at Disco Posse on Twitter. Easiest way to find me, uh, connect through LinkedIn, however you want. Um, with that, let's get on to the person that actually matters in the discussion we're going to have today. I've been really excited by, you know, kind of the ways that the world is changing in the way that we interact with, with people through technology. And especially if I look at, you know, the startup space and, and really there's like 10 different angles that I would love to come to this conversation with. And, and we're going to get started with that. Uh, Ankesh Kumar uh, joins me here from Let's Chat. Uh, there's much more to him than that. We're going to talk about it. Uh, Ankesh, if you want to just introduce yourself and let folks know where they can find you online. Oh, thank you, Eric. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm on LinkedIn. It's um, LinkedIn Ankish Kumar, just one word. Um, also, people can feel free to reach out to me. My email is Ankish at LessChat, um, uh, LessChat.chat. Um, and a uh, quick introduction, I was uh, born in India, um, moved to London when I was three. Uh, my dad worked for the airlines and grew up in London and studied in the UK. Actually, I uh, did my first degree in hotel and catering management, which is nothing relevant to what I'm doing today. Wow. <laughs> um, and <laughs> moved to the uh, Valleys in my uh, 20s, uh, around 89, actually. Um, and uh, just came here on, on holidays or vacation and um, ended up staying. And that was an interesting uh, story as well, uh, that I managed to wrangle myself a, a green card and uh, and uh, became a citizen and, and, and you know, did a couple of startups in the uh, one in the IT staffing area, one in the software business. Um, um, the IT staffing company, we went one five, fifteen, twenty million. We were doing about ten percent EBIT um, when we sold the company to uh, the parent company of Monster. Um, and the software company, Personic, we you know one eight, sixteen, twenty four, raised about fifty million in venture funding, and uh, the company was uh, finally sold to Kronos. And since then, I've been doing some. Uh, investing personal investing and my own startup so one of my startups uh, got bought by google uh for the ip for uh uh sharing as a page ranking mechanism that was about a year before facebook launched the like button um oh, wow. which is kind of like ob obvious uh, now that sharing is a page ranking mechanism um and 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 currently working on this chat dot chat and I thought I was just happy that I made it to work on time this morning. I guess you've got a storied history. Um, let's let's actually do reverse timeline. I'd, I'd love to talk about, number one, easiest thing to find, let's chat.chat. .chat. You can't miss the fact that chat's a part of it. How did, how did this idea come to you, especially with such a kind of a broad background? What was the, what was the problem that you saw that you, you, you wanted to be able to solve? I'm curious how it got started. 
Yeah, um, I think that uh, it's it's pretty obvious that chat um, messaging is prevalent in all our lives. I mean, we all use iMessage, WhatsApp, uh, Instagram, and and work. If you're internally using a product like Slack or something, but it it sort of was it was it was weird that to me that when a salesperson is communicating with a prospect, um, you know, prospects typically don't pick the phone up, um, and so you're left with email and chat is not a common way um, to communicate with prospects. And even if you do get the cell phone number, because it's obviously prospects are thinking to themselves, do I want to give this salesperson my cell phone number? And you know, probably not. And even if you do get it, if you've got to, you know, you end up building a relationship, a lot of that content is not going into the CRM, you know, Salesforce or whatever you end up using. So those are the, the, the two issues because sales is communication, right? I mean, it's just basically you're sharing um, information about the company, yourself, and uh, the prospects doing their due diligence, and you're doing the, the reverse on the prospect. Are they the buying person? Do they have a budget, et cetera? What's their pain point? So it's all about sharing information. And the fact that chat was not, uh, was not part of that process. Uh, I, I thought to myself, wow, this is, you know, this is a problem that needs to be addressed. Now, this is what's, I can pretty quickly kind of like, I'm going to draw the, the two plus two connection. And what I love about folks that I found that have, have had startups that have been successful and are product builders that are successful, I often find they come from a, what some would see as a non-traditional background. So you're not comp sci, you're not necessarily a PhD in AI, but in fact, I saw that, you know, the fact that you can't went to school, hoteling and catering, you, you've been people oriented probably since, since the dawn of your experience. And thus you got into, into staffing and recruiting and, and those things did, I guess that's really kind of the driver for you were really aiming of like, how do I make the, the people experience better in engaging with, with new prospects, right? Am I right there? Sorry, yeah, I just assumed I, that I'm boldly like yeah. nail, nailing the story, but it's, no. it, uh, it did... Did you consciously, you know, does, does your background in schooling, you know, kind of play itself out in some of the, the decisions you make in, in choosing a business? Yeah, I think there's two parts, two, two answers to a question. Firstly, on, the, on, the, on my skill set, definitely, I mean, you know, I'm definitely a, a people person. Uh, you know, actually, when I, I actually did end up doing an MBA after my hotel and catering and also did a, a master's in information technology, but it was actually more of a conversion course. So in England in the 80s, um, you know, it was people with, like my background and, and teachers, et cetera, they were trying to convert into technology. So you, they'd give you a master's for one year course. Uh, but And part of it, I actually had to do coding. So I actually ended up doing some COBOL coding back then. And it was so funny because I'd be coding and I'd get bored like in five minutes and turn to the person on my left or my right, try to talk to them. And, and then nobody wanted to talk. They were focused on doing their own little puzzle and stuff. And I realized ah, coding is not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a, you know, a, a social person. But the other thing that you, you mentioned, I think you did nail, nail on the head, um, was, was another drive to start the business. I think you said something about the, the, the buyer experience or the prospect experience. Um, and, and so a phrase that I, I use often is, you know, the buying decision, whether you're buying a laptop or a fridge or, or a software from is, is buying decision directly impacts the, um, um, the buying experience, sorry, directly impacts the buying decision. And, and, you know, I was at this conference, um, I won't mention the vendor, but they're actually a sales engagement platform. And I was, I was standing at the, you know, the reception the night before and talking to a couple of salespeople. And, and this, what this product does is actually just keeps automate sending emails. So it's like a, like a MailChimp product, but for salespeople. Um, and, you know, it could, if, if someone doesn't respond three days later, it'll send you another ping, you know, five days later, another one. 
And this, this salesperson said, oh, my, so someone, a prospect finally responded to me and said, you've sent me 23 emails. I'm going to just do the calls and do a demo with you. So, yeah, you stop sending me emails. And we were all having a glass of wine and laughed about it. And it just it's like, kind of sunk in my head. I'm like, that's not a great buying experience. You know, um, and we don't really think about how the buyer, um, you know, um, is, 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 is feeling. And I think that's really a, a lot of part would we, when we're building something, we, we're trying, I mean, we're trying to make it a good buying experience and helping salespeople, um, you know, in our product to, to, to engage with prospects in a meaningful way, to provide them information and to shorten the sales cycle because by having, you know, better communication. So I think that, um, you know, uh, definitely, um, I think one aspect is, I think the, a lot of the sales engagement tools don't really take the buyer into consideration, which, you know, which is sort of our, our, our center of gravity. And the, the thing that I've seen, of course, is the, the audience of, of consumer today is much different than it had been, you know, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Um, and I think it was a, a tweet I saw somewhere. Someone told a story of like, uh, you know, I, I got a hotel room through, you know, some, some piece of software. Uh, and this is my, my mother then, you know, phoned them up and and spent half an hour on the phone and was very proud that within half an hour she was able to shave like thirty dollars a night off of a two night stay, and and the fellow said I'm I'm willing to pay sixty dollars to never pick up the phone. But that's the trade off, and you know, to one person versus the other is like I would get on a chat and I do this with my cell phone provider with with lots of different companies like. I don't want to get into, I just don't want to use the phone. Uh, I, I would love to be able to just keep typing so I can kind of do it as a secondary thing to something else that I'm working on. Cause chat, you can sort of sit in the background, you hear the beep, you go back and you can engage with, with whoever it is. And it's asynchronous. And I think that asynchronous experience is very positive for me because you know, I, I just know that I can get it on mic time. And it feels more like as a, consumer, you're in control of the conversation, which is funny because it's actually probably very much the other way around is that you're, it's bi-directional control. The, as a vendor, you're now able to keep this person engaged, even though they would normally tap out because you know, you can like, Hey, ping, a little beep will go off and, and then they'll actually interact with you. Yeah, it's interesting the, the example that you mentioned about the consumers and hotel rooms. Um, and I think for B2B sales, um, you know, we really need to uh, understand that, um, that, that, that buyers are actually uh, expecting a consumer experience. Um, you know, Forrester actually had um, um, some research. They said 62% of B2B buyers uh, can, can now develop selection criteria or even finalize a vendor list just based on digital content. Um, and so it, it, that, that's, you know, that, that's important because if you know what you have um, uh, on your website and how you're interacting with them, um, they're, they're spending a lot more time. I mean, you know, um, in actually being fully briefed on it. So uh, definitely need to sort of make it easy for them to, to find the content they need um, and, and, to, and to sort of like make a selection process. So I think uh, the B2B, B2B definitely has to learn from B2C and, you know, chat is definitely a part of it. Um, I mean, the biggest, uh, some of the biggest stories in this last decade, you know, WhatsApp, um, I mean, it's such a global phenomena and, you know, Slack, et cetera. And it's just really bizarre that that's not, you know, translating to, to, uh, to B2B sales. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting that I guess whether they're just laggards in the, in the experience, there's still a lot of folks. I mean, there are some businesses which legitimately it's about the concierge experience, but even that I find like even the high-end retailers, 
now are bringing, you know, at least chat into their, their digital engagement. When you're in the store, of course, that's a very different thing. They still have a very high touch white glove experience. However, to get you to incent you to become a store visitor, <clears throat> they've got now these new ways of, of giving you, and you know, it's the whole thing of a name, right? When you're actually t speaking with someone and says, you know, uh, you know, Joanne is, 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 is typing, you're waiting and you're like, Oh, I can't wait to mm -hmm, see what Joanne mm -hmm. has to say. <laughs> right. Or, or whatever it is. Right, you're, right. It's, a, it's a personalized experience, even though it, it can be a, a bot, you know, on the back end sometimes just to get those first couple of questions through before it kind of does the handoff. And people mm -hmm. still just have this fundamental belief that when they see a physical, you know, a typing icon, a little thing waiting, they know they're, they'll sit waiting for it. They're, they're involved in this, this waiting. There's, you know, synapses are firing like, Ooh, you know, I can't wait to see what's about to pop up kind of idea. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff there. I think, um, uh, firstly, I think you, you brought up a really good point. I mean, so we really need to differentiate between chat and chatbots. Um, and, you know, um, um, you know, and uh, um, so maybe just very quickly, I mean, chat is, is, is obviously, as you talked about, talking to a live person. And chatbots is obviously talking to a, a machine. And, and, you know, the way we see the world is it's a combination of both, especially in a high-end cell like B2B. You can, you know, where B2C may not, uh, may not you know, warrant having a, a live person and use more chatbots. Um, so there is definitely some benefits in the automation, um, you know, of, of that. Um, and, and the other part, which I, I, I think was, was interesting, you're saying how the brain and, you know, um, is, is affected. The funny thing is, uh, in our experience, people would actually prefer to talk to a chatbot than to a person. And they're actually more open um, if you're asking questions. It, it's almost like um, psychologically, you know, when you, you, you sort of, where it's a, you know, they say bartenders or hairdressers, you, you know, you go and get your hair cut and you just talk freely because you know that conversation is not going to go anywhere. And, right. and, and, you know, I was actually at a conference this weekend and it was um, about uh, talking about chat, chatbots and talent acquisition. And one of the, the points we were discussing, not in our space, but it was, um, it was you know, in, in, in recruitment when people actually applying online for jobs and asking them questions, you know, engaging them in, it was one of the, the phrases in the space is conversational marketing. And what that really means is engaging them. like say, Hey Eric, how's your day going? And even though you know, it's a chatbot, you know, it's kind of like just respond. And, if you, and also using visual aspects or having like a sun shining or you know, cloudy and you can just click on that and you just start engaging them and, and they hit the cloud and say, sorry to hear that, I hope your day goes better. And then, you, you know, so it really does have that emotional impact. And, and sometimes people feel more comfortable talking, as, as I mentioned before, to a, to a chatbot because it's, it's, you know, they know it's not a real person that would potentially judge them. Um, and, and having that connection. So I think there's, there's, there's so much upside um, in, in, in this area. And, and, you know, and another thing actually was really interesting, there was, um, uh, I forget the name of it, the Stanford actually developed a chatbot. And so this has been around for a while in 1964. It was like 20 lines of code or something. Wow. I forget the name of it. I, I can look it up. And, and it was just to prove that, you know, how you can do it. I mean, so they've been around for a while. And, you know, in the 70s and 80s, I mean, AOL had a product and stuff. So um, it's, it's had a lot of uh, stops and starts. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, we were talking at this conference, we definitely think that the benefits of now um, uh, um, are there. Um, and people have, you know, I think Facebook Messenger a couple of years ago launched their uh, uh, their chatbots and everyone got really excited about it. But then it sort of... Uh, uh, fizzled out because of the NLP issues. Yeah, well, there's it's uh, here's the interesting thing, of course, is anytime we introduce the idea of a bot and whatnot, there is a, a an interesting sort of boundary of 
the, the dominant language, of course, is, is English. True, like from at least in my kind of you know, view of the, the world mm-hmm. that I work in is that obviously my NLP world is going to be dominantly, you know, English businesses that are North American based. Uh, and we find then the conversion to European audiences, English can still sort of move along uh, fairly far, but I'm always curious on, you know, how do we bridge that gap to, to other languages? Ironically that if I actually, I just came back from Microsoft Ignite uh, recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when I was doing one of my presentations, they have, uh, closed captioning that's going on during it's a live closed captioning and it's no more than than 15 to 20 seconds behind your speech and mm-hmm. using natural language processing very good translation it's very 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 accurate and to top it off if you change languages in your spoken word it will change so i just changed and i did like you know four sentences in french and it just changed it says speaking in french and it gave the English version of what I was saying right behind what I was saying in French. So it was really interesting that I think now the the translation services are becoming more accurate as we've trained them up. And I, I that's kind of the next foray, I think, for a lot of these folks is now we don't have to be just speaking English uh, in te- mm-hmm. in software. You can now effectively work in multiple languages, which I think will be kind of like a Gutenberg revolution in the ability to, to build chatbots and, and extend these into more parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the, well, the other um, issue holding it back is also the NLP aspect of it. Um, you know, um, it's, 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 I mean, that's why I got passionate about it. But I thought how cool like Star Trek to actually be able to talk, you know, to a, you know, on your phone to a, a machine and in, in your, just your natural language and get responses and stuff. Uh, and unfortunately, it's not really there right now. Um, you know, it's, um, someone used an analogy the other day, I think Leonardo da Vinci actually had this painting of a of a helicopter you know i mean back back in the day and 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 you know obviously did not develop it but it was just the idea of it and and you know the, the first and that that's kind of like where we're at right now with it um i mean google actually you know a couple of years ago they they talked about setting up an appointment using natural language to set up a, a restaurant appointment and and i was talking to someone at google who was actually involved in the projects and they were like you know you just need to go very very deep on one vertical uh to understand all the you know the different variations and the phrases that an individual individual would use so you can think of like tens of thousands of use cases and and so um you know you mentioned microsoft uh, Amazon, Google, and, and obviously uh, IBM Watson are the big players. So a lot of the vendors are using the underlying technology for that, but then adding the, uh, the use cases for their, their verticals. I think once you um, once they, they, those get built out and you need a lot of data for that is when we're really going to see it sort of mainstream. Um, but for now, and what I tell people, you know, that are building chatbots, and we certainly do this, is, is you know, there's, there's obviously that's unstructured communication with free form, but we, we, we sort of literally just do um, structured, you know, just radio button system, menu driven, because then you won't get the disappointment from users and you can't afford that, you know. And then if there's any um, frustration from the user, there's sort of like you can use obviously things like sentiment analysis. If they're like, oh, my God, this sucks. This is horrible. You know, you work like that. It will kick in uh, a live chat option straight away. So, you know, uh, that I think that's sort of like where we are in 2019, you know, predominantly structured. Um, but then, you know, in the next three to five years, more unstructured. And then it will be... I think, you know, mainstream. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. 
<clears throat> talk about IBM real quickly uh, as well. I was at uh, IBM Think earlier this year in 2019. It was in February uh, down in San Francisco. And one of the examples they had, or it's actually an IBM Connect conference. One of the, at any rate, it was an IBM thing. And they're talking about the Watson services and, and these bot services that a financial services company in Canada had built. And it was really neat because they talked about this thing that they've, they've built this chat bot. They trained it. And it was, it was an actual like speaking version of it. It was a human, you know, a literally like a, a human version of a, of a chat experience. And they had trained it on all these thousands and thousands and thousands of previous uh, service calls and, and customer service experiences. And so they went through and they, they literally turned it on for the first call and had somebody kind of piggybacking alongside and went through the experience and, and got to the end of the conversation, solved the problem for the customer. And then, then this, this machine says, is there anything else that I can help you with today? And it was funny. They said, like the time when you watch Alpha Go and you're like, wait, it wasn't supposed to do right, that. Right. Like, they all of a sudden, they're all standing there going like, we never, we never taught it how to do that. It's not in the manual. It's like it had learned that a good way to have a, a high happy sentiment exit from this conversation is to right, ask a question. Right. And then the irony was the, the person on the other line answer says, no, I'm good for now, but thank you. It's so nice to finally be talking to a human for a change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, yeah, what you're talking about definitely is, you know, where the algorithm learns on itself. I mean, perhaps phrase it a different way, like a super algorithm. And that's sort of, you know, um, what, what we have in the uh, autonomous driving vehicles as well, you know, is there's one algorithm on top of another one. And, 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 and so it's really exciting because um, it, the applications of, of that, obviously, as you described in the customer service, but in the different use cases, I mean, whether it's, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure all your audience, uh, anyone who's applied for a job, would know the frustration of you know uh, uh, dealing with a company and trying to send your resume and get a response learn about the company learn about the culture so i think even like in our day-to-day -day experiences because that where i was at the conference this weekend that's really going to change by using chatbots you know having the ability to ask you know what the culture is like in the company you know what's the expectations do i have to work on the weekends and you know to have that and be able to send your resume and then even talk to alexa or, or google now and say hey my application to genentech um, you know, where's that? Oh, this is it's being currently your resume is being reviewed, and we you should hear with us in three to five days, because there's nothing worse than sending out resumes and not knowing what happened or what didn't That's happen. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and this low employment marketplace, are people on the other end, I know it's frustrating. I mean, you know, the, the recruiters or people in the talent acquisition are actively looking at that. It was very encouraging to see the application of, of, of chatbots in people's day-to-day -day lives, not just in the customer service, but, you know, things like that. So it's, I think it's, it's, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be um, pretty major in you know, the next few years. So excited to see all this uh, changes in, you know, in front of us. And one of the things I want to jump in on to just talk about how, as you got things rolling, you're a demo jam winner. If you don't mind, let's, I'd love to hear about that experience of what it was like sort of leading up to and, and what made you, you know, jump in and, and have that be a way that you wanted to, to build the platform. Yeah, it's funny because um, the company uh, this time last year was actually not called Let's Chat. We were actually called Shareativity. Um, and up till uh, I think 
maybe one demo jam, but maybe we even call creativity. And uh, uh, what we were working on is actually personalization outreach. So if I was reaching out to you, Eric, for example, I'd know, hey, that you like going to conferences, and I'd see your LinkedIn profile. So as a salesperson, we would use personalized outreach. So we actually did um, uh, a, a Salesforce uh, 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 competition. I'm not sure if it was actually the demo jam, but it was another one um, for Salesforce like six weeks prior. And we demoed that, and there was like six uh, people on the, we didn't win. We, uh, we don't know where we came, but someone else won. We were like, hmm. And then I sort of was having this idea about chatbots. And so I talked to my, my developer, um, you know, basically the company is just me and one other guy, and we've got a really good rapport, you know, and I think that's the reason we can move really quickly, which, which is another subject of being nimble and, and, and you know, uh, and, and uh, agile um, as a startup. Uh, and I said, hey, look, what do you think about doing a chatbot? Like, you know, and we, you know, I had a workflow experience. So for example, uh, um, you know, sending an email to someone and it would say, hey, Eric, thanks for connecting. Can I share some information with you would you like to see my youtube videos and go through you know so you can actually uh, consume some of the content to learn and then um and then would you like to chat with me and so if you chat with me my phone rings and i you know we, we start the chat and holding privacy and then or if i'm not available you know you can set up an appointment go to my calendar and everything's stored in salesforce so we said okay let's just mock something up and i think in like two to three weeks we just had a you know not a functional product or the production uh, ready but just something we could demo and and given we, we so we just demoed that and i and it was like we sort of knew it really well because people on the other end the, the salesforce guys were like wow, I've never seen anything like that. That was really cool. And, uh, and then we said, after we won it, we said, okay, we're not going to be shared to anymore. We're going to be less chat, change the company, <laughs> change the website, change our positioning. And I think October, I think, it, no, I tell you when it was, it was a July 4th. I remember it was, it was actually a, a holiday. So from May, May, June, July, three months, we actually had a production system, you know, come into place. Um, and so it was a, it was a quick turnaround. So that's, that's, that's the startup world. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and it's, it's interesting, and, and we have so many stories that are just like that of, you know, what the, <clears throat> even when you see a company successfully appear in the market, they go to market with a specific message and, and whatnot, what you what I always, because I've sort of seen behind the scenes a lot, I enjoy it because you look and I try and find out what's, what's phase two, because that's really what they're building. You have your initial go to market, and quite often that can be a huge pivot to like, okay, this is the one that's going to get us in. But behind the scenes, you know, your vision is bigger than that, that original go to market. And it's always neat to see people like, oh, if they saw you by your first, you know, platform name, they'd be like, oh, I, I, they would kind of box you in. I, I know what they're going to do. I kind of sense where they're going. And then it's neat that you can like quickly pivot. And that, that agile sort of approach is, you know, what's needed because in a startup, you, you know, they call it fail fast or, or whatever, fail early, mm -hmm, fail often, mm -hmm. et cetera. Really what it is, it's, it's learn uh, and adapt because ultimately the way you, you go into any, you know, product market fit discussion, it starts with a challenge. And if you build towards a challenge and then you realize it's either very onerous to build a solution for it that may not be sellable, or even worse, it's like, while you're doing that, you're like, actually, I found another problem. <laughs> Let's right, attack that right. one, right? It's, it's the, it, they call it product market fit, but really what it is, is, is problem, so problem fit. Like find problem first, be passionate about solution for problem, then find product market fit uh, based on those two things. 
Right. And yeah, and, and the, you're correct. I mean, the, the problem is always the buyer experience and, you know, and, and making it a better buyer experience. So we were trying to do it initially uh, um, through personalization um, and, you know, and then we, we sort of lay it on. We're actually incorporating a lot of the stuff that we, we had previously as well. So, you know, for example, we can know which school you went to and, and, and maybe have an API to kind of like how your you know, college team did last weekend, you know, and mentioned that in the outreach as well. So it's, so it, it is uh, the same fundamental issue, but it was like a, a different, you know, a different storefront, if you like. Yeah. And I think that's the power of, you know, somebody who's come through and, and you've built more than one platform. And so you had a great sort of set of successes you, you talked about at, at the intro to the podcast. And if you don't mind, I'd always love, my favorite thing is, mm-hmm is the story where something went, went sideways, you know, kind of like the, you know, the Horowitz version, you know, the hard thing about doing hard things. He talks about the, you know, and I, I, I love the phrase, uh, I forget who actually coined this as a good question was like, what's the worst thing that's happened to you that you're thankful for? You know, what you've probably through the course of your career been close to something where you said, I, I don't know that we're going to make it through the next very short while in the way that we're, we're going. And, and then, through perseverance you've kind of you've reached that next okay we got through that do you, do you have i'd love to hear some of the stories that you may have on that yeah i don't know if i'm thankful for all the bad things that happened but i i, I probably should have a learning experience but yeah i definitely got my war stories i think the worst uh experience was actually you know like um, around 2000 when the market crashed we were burning about a million dollars a month uh you know at personic we'd raised as i mentioned you know a lot of venture money and and all of a sudden you know funding just closed and we had about 250 employees we had offices in the uk and australia and you know i was very close to all our employees i mean as you you said earlier in the beginning i'm you know social guy and I'd, i'd know their families you know you know, in the early days to come around my house, we used to have barbecues and stuff like that. And, and to, to lay people off to go from 250 down to, you know, to a smaller number, it was, and just, you know, people have got mortgages and that was really, really tough. Um, so we actually had the first phase when we were going back to New York, flying back literally every week trying to raise money and, you know, go to these meetings. I mean, um, and just, we were fortunate. We had real revenue. We, you know, we weren't one of those dot-com companies with just a, a business plan and PowerPoint. So the, the investors were still taking the meetings, but that was really, really um, stressful and you know I think that uh, the, the, the people aspect of it uh, is, is tough I, I, I sometimes get a little too attached to to you know um, people you know, I'm, I'm, you know it's, it's I think it's a good good or bad quality but it you know it's something that you just need to work at um, um, and so that was a, those are those are rough days um, the other, you know, the other one I, I, uh, I think was, uh, we had this, um, uh, product, which I, I love the product and this is probably a good learning experience. Uh, that I, I'd love to share with your, your, your listeners as well, because the product was, was, was fantastic. Had a, had a very demonstrable ROI. So basically it was an employee time off solution and it was using email and, and if, you know, so Monday, say the, the work period, work period, work period finished, you get every employee would get a, a, an email, a structured email said so have like a four minute. So did you take any time off in the last two weeks? And if you didn't respond in three days, send another email and then, you know, you could set the date and then go to the, your manager. So our first customer was actually Leapfrog. Um, I'm not sure if they're around, so, but they did those kids uh, learning toys. That's right. And I, yeah, I, in, I, I know those products yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and this, I was sitting in the meeting with the CFO and the controller, and the CFO turned around to the controller and said, "What's our accrued vacation liability? You know, how much money do we our employees for time off?" And she goes, "2.3 million." He's like, "What? 
he was like about a million more than he expected. Because you know what happens? People just don't report the time off. They go, you know, on holiday, and if, if they don't get caught, they are like, okay, you know, I've still got the time off, which is not great for the company. And um, but the, the the learning experience here was that who are we selling to? So what ended up happening? I mean, we'd love to sell to the CFO, but then the CFO would say, oh, you need to talk to HR. HR is not the most dynamic organization, you know, and they've obviously got a lot on their plate, and they would defer it to IT. Now IT is like, you know, it's, just, it's like going going to the graveyard. You're never going to get anything done. That's right. So I think the learning, yeah, the learning experience was the product was really good, but we didn't have a clear buyer. Uh, we, each organization changed, and the sales cycles was, were enormously long. I remember going to like Webex uh, when they were still around. I had, I had I must have had a dozen meetings over two years with them. And then finally, I just gave up. I'm like, man, this, this, you know, yeah. So I think that one of the things I learned from that experience is really know who your buyer is, the persona, what is their pain point, and pitch your solution to them. Uh, and and in that case, you know, um, maybe we could have we done it, but I just sort of like said, ah, oh, this is sometimes you've been working on something for so long, you're like, oh, okay, let's just let's move on. Yeah, it's it's a good lesson too for for just about anything really. Like it's and I think you know in the sort of sales jargon they call it medic, you know, and, and having the the economic buyer being the E of of medic and and knowing because if you if you don't have the ear and the interest of the economic buyer, no matter how excited your champion is, you're mm-hmm. inevitably going to reach some blockage because the person's going to write that check. And then on top of that, there's process and, and, and procurements that, like you said, it can be unexpectedly lengthening your sales cycles. And quite often too, it's, you know, I've, I've seen this happen where people are like, everybody loves it, you know, up until Friday. And then Monday morning, you get the email saying like, uh, we've decided that we're going to, going to step away from this. And you're like, but, but everybody loved it. <laughs> yeah. And it's right, right, a lot right. of, a lot of moving bits. And again, it's used, it's almost all, always, I find, at the account level, you know, that's what it is. Like you just said, is you're ultimately, you're selling to the wrong person in the org and the person that's going to actually get that purchase done is not involved. Uh, and also the opposite can happen where if you've only uh, been able to work with an economic buyer and you get this very top-down sort of forced-in software purchase, the adoption rates are are very terrible, uh, you know, for a lot of those companies because it just comes in from on high. Everybody says, oh boy, here comes another tablet from the mountain. You know, I suppose right, we've got to work right. with this. And they kind of like this Luddite mentality kicks in and they're like, I'm going to grudgingly not use this software or this product. And then they ride out till the renewal program. And then all of a sudden when renewal comes up, you're like, oh, we've decided we we didn't really get adoption. So we're going to, we're going to back out. So you'd see a lot of like one year, one-year procurement uh, terms that that tapped out after the year, sadly. So it's it is a very very tough challenge. Did you did you do any sort of sales-related training yourself in order to kind of get used to that process, or or Ankesh, did it did it come from schooling? Yeah. So when I was uh, in England before I came to the states, I actually my first job was actually working for a staffing company, um, and we had a a fairly good um, you know sales training. And then actually I went to work for Xerox uh, in in the UK as well, and I was actually selling copiers. And uh, and uh, so Xerox used us the spin technology, you know, so, uh, situation, problem, implication, need payoff, you know, uh, and so you know did a lot of sales training there. Um, but it's an interesting uh, question because. Uh, 
uh, I think what's happening in sales now, what I'm seeing is I always ask people, do you see sales as an art or a science? And it's really becoming more scientific now. It's more process driven. Uh, you know, I, I, in fact, at that conference I was telling you about, this company was talking about the how they use their own technology. And one of the things they said, they don't actually hire salespeople. They hire customer service people that have good interpersonal skills. And then they have a, a structured process. On Monday morning, you'll send out a LinkedIn request. You know, you know, at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, you'll, you'll send, a, you know, do 10 phone calls. At the afternoon, you'll do research. And so they, they don't want people, you know, that, that sort of just freelance or cowboyish and stuff. So, um, but, you know, uh, I, I, I kind of like it's a little sad because uh, I think I've always enjoyed the, the war stories with salespeople, how they sort That's of, right. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 you know I'll, I'll tell you one, back in England in the 80s, you know, people used to smoke. And, and one of the techniques that um, my friend, he was actually hiring salespeople. He said, hey, you've got an ashtray on my table. Sell me the ashtray. So the salesperson picks it up, throws it on the floor and says, I think you need a new ashtray. <laughs> it's not a true story, but it's, you know, it's creating, creating your own demand. But, you know, it was a, a, having that sort of artistic uh, um, approach and dealing with people and having the good comebacks and the one-liners was always a, a fun thing. And I think that's a little bit going out of the industry now. But that's, you know, it is the way it is. You know what, and it's interesting. What I like about the sort of the science entering into capturing the art it's it's always this kind of thing like every once in a while you see somebody they'll say like oh you know they see like a beehive being a perfect you know perfect uh you know algorithmic and, and algebraic you know formulas that that work out how and they're like oh look at that nature is just like math i'm like that, no see that's the funny thing it's you it's the other way around like we've just finally figured out the math to explain nature so what we believe right, is right. this incredible freeform thing is is not at all like fractals i remember that was a big thing you know like doing like fractal programming and c watching my dad you know going through his library of books and, and he was super excited that he could build these incredible like fractal graphs and understanding how those things worked and you're like ah it was now the representation of of art that plays out as as science and and now algorithmically and i see that yeah we're getting more of the sales process stuff can be represented i don't like to detach it from the the human side of it because ultimately we can't just replace the sales folks with an algorithm uh, however we can make good ones better uh and then we can make people that are entering into like hey here's let's look at your history and, and your account health etc cetera, etc cetera. there's always going to be a human touch that can change and nurture and, and incent people to get involved in, in a sale but ultimately if you look at the broad set of data you can probably get pretty good information, at least looking back on it. So you say, why did it go wrong? Well, there's some anecdotal stuff. There's a bit of tribal knowledge, but the reality is, you know, look at the numbers and, and it's, you tends to represent that tribal knowledge pretty well in, in some kind of an algorithmic way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's products out there that, you know, create templates so they know what email templates work, uh, voice conversations, recording those, understanding how that goes. And so, it's, it's, you know, see, it is, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if I'd want to be a, a, a sales development representative, you just sort of like such a structured approach, almost like a factory line, you know, this is what you've got to say. And, um, you know, I, I, I used to, I used to, you know, when I first came to the States, my first job was actually um, working for a staffing company in San Jose. And I, I, there was days before computers, which all I had was a phone and a pen and a paper and a stack of resumes. And I would actually just call up people. And actually, one of my best friends was one of the people I called up, just got chatting on the phone and talking. It was just, you know, so you was, you were just, you know, it was just, it was just more, I always like, always thought to myself when I called someone, you know, it's, it's just a friend I don't know. 
I've not met them yet. And I'd always have that approach. I wouldn't necessarily be trying to be selling and just, just build a relationship and a rapport. And I really enjoyed it. I mean, people say, oh, I hate call, cold calling and stuff, but it was actually, you know, kind of fun. Um, and, uh, but anyway, it, it's, it's now, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's much more um, a production line. But, yeah, um, it's a very humbling experience, like you said, to go through, like, we, we as like, as a person who may be sold a thing, we receive those calls all the time. And because I'm deeply involved in, in a business that, that has successfully done that, it's funny when I talk to our like fresh new SDRs or BDRs, whatever they, they happen to call them, I always say like, hey, like, look, you're doing great because you're brand new and I love it. But you write, you write introductory emails like, uh, if you took an, an AI algorithm and tried to have it predict how a human would deal with a robot, like this is not, let's just put some exclamation marks in there, put an emoticon, like make it something that looks like a human wrote this and make it conversational and you'll find you get a better, better feedback. And like doing even the simplest things like, I remember Buffer. So Buffer.com, of course, they, the Buffer app they do for uh, for scheduling social stuff. For the longest time, it was always like Joel from Buffer. You know, I see it in my email because I was a right. customer. And then all of a sudden, well, one day, after like two years, it was like it was like Susan from Buffer. And I literally replied back and said, <laughs> "Is Joel okay?" You know, like I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know who Joel was, but I knew it was Joel from Buffer. I I was when that changed. I was like, I was now like, oh. I, I actually wanted to interact with this company because I'm like, I want to make sure he's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I get Joel's emails as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, but is, is that's okay? it. and we've actually <laughs> tested it out over the course of, of, you know, when you change a name and you put, you know, uh, a, a male name, a female name, uh, the way you do the introductions, it's, it's very interesting. And I think it's a society we've kind of like mm -hmm. deformalized that we've made conversational sales better, which is so much nicer. I've linked. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned a really important point that I, I want to get back to. You said, you know, to, you, you were saying to you, your SDRs and BDRs, you said, I, I add an image or something. So there was actually, there's actually this concept of visual prospecting. And there was, a, um, you know, we as humans process images 60 times faster than uh, text. And uh, in, in, in some uh, case study, one company actually got 280% higher return by using images uh, in, inside their uh, emails. And that's what we also do. So, you know, for example, we call them sales engagement bots. Uh, so, for example, if the case study, we can actually just take a PDF file, convert it into a chat bot, and then have, we have an image library. So think of like emojis, like, you know, the smiley faces, etc. But these are business icons. So then I can have a case study showing, you know, showing i.e. 280% of visual prospecting. And when I incorporate that that uh, sales engagement bot in my email, one, it's visual, uh, secondly, it's, it tells what the person is. And we, you know, we were getting, you know, 25% uh, higher engagement uh, on the video. So yeah, that's, that's a really good point. You know, the adding, adding images and stuff to, to, you know, conversations is, 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 is very productive. It's a, it's neat too. If you look at <clears throat> when I, when I get new folks that are new to like sales or whatever, or that even they've been in for a while, the first thing I do is I kind of like slide a, that very thick volume of thinking fast and slow across the table at them. And I tell them like, look, trust me, this is a big read, but believe me, like the, the behavioral economics and behavioral psychology have an incredible play. And then also like UI and UX design for, for applications mm -hmm. and, and products. Same as even an email. An email is a UX, right? It is, mm -hmm. you have a matter of seconds to engage somebody and they are 
in their application, you know, they're just, they're sifting through. So you've got a second as they roll by it to like catch them. And then from that right, point, right. And you learn like, same as photography, like the rule of thirds. And there's all these incredible behavioral things that we can, that we've got in science that then can be translated into a seemingly innocuous thing. Like uh, you just got an email and it's Joel from Buffer, but there's a picture on the bottom right-hand side and it pulls your eye down. And it's like just those little nuanced things that you can see. And like you said, 24, 28% difference. Now that may not sound like, you know, this barn burning level of, of change from the previous one. But for folks to remember, like the, if you think of the sales funnel, people that are like just figuring like, first engagement down to actually closing a sale, it's like a hundred down to one. If you're closing one right. percent of, of top of funnel business, you're in pretty decent shape. <laughs> so right, it's, right, that 24% right. is a big difference when you look at being able to maintain yeah. engagement. Yeah, I think it, uh, on B2B emails, it's like one to 3% uh, traditionally. But I think you, you brought up another uh, important point there when you're talking about like, you know, the, the other person, personally, other than getting the email, scrolling through it. I think, you know, the, we always view it, um, because if you've targeted your list correctly and you send out, say, a thousand, and let's assume that, you know, you're targeting a CIO or whatever else, you've got the right list. And you might get that one to 3%, which is typical in, in B2B. But what about the other 97%? Why didn't they respond? And, you know, I mean, say if you, you know, you mentioned that you, you worked in storage and stuff. So say you're VMware or whatever, and you're, you're saying, hey, we've got a really cool product in storage and, we, you know, privacy, security. So you hit all the buzzwords for a CIO that might be interested, but they don't respond. And they're passively interested. That's the kind of like audience that we see we can engage with chatbots. Let them do some discovery. So have a YouTube video of the CEO talking about what VMware as a, as a, as a chatbot, uh, have a case study and let them engage with curated content. I mean, and when we talk about buyer experience, as opposed to the buyer, the CIO going to YouTube, looking at the VMware videos or going to LinkedIn and trying to get, you know, some due diligence on what's this company about and so on and so forth. Um, and, and I think putting that uh, passive, uh, um, getting that passive uh, buyer engage a little bit more and then the ability to hit a button and say, okay, this, this is pretty interesting. Let me just chat with the sales guy. I don't want to hit the reply button. I don't want to set the meeting. I've just got some questions. You know what I mean? And I think the, 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 that's really where we see the upside is, is moving people along the, the sales funnel uh, a lot quicker by, by you know, making their experience about learning about the product a lot better. I said, I think that's, that's really what we want to do you know, with, with, with buyers and, and help salespeople get that you know, through the funnel better. One thing I want to tackle is kind of a of, of a, a last chat topic because I'm you've had uh, you've had more than one experience in, in building a business and you kind of talked earlier about the the challenge of going with with Personic it was you know scaling back because of of difficult times now being a founder I find there's this really interesting sort of bi-directional faith of as you build a business and your vision and your passion of, of what you're building are there. That's what drives you to be successful at building it. Uh, and then also to gather a crowd of folks who can help you build that thing. And at, when I first started with my current company, I said, you know, I, I went to the interview and I kind of saw it as like, I'm, I'm going here to see if they can win me, you know, like, am, do I believe in what they're doing? And then I realized in these incredibly deep conversations with then like a 200 person startup that it was actually coming the other way as well is that they were very firmly having to believe that I was going to support this mission and this vision that they were on. So how, Ankesh, if you don't mind, like I'd love to hear 
what is the feeling as a founder, especially when you have to tell people, look, we have to, I believe in you and you, you, you get close to them. And then you have to kind of say, look, I, I just can't, we can't keep the machine rolling as it is. But when you bring those people on though, what's your process of choosing somebody to join you for that, that vision and that execution? Yeah, well, I think there's two questions there, right? What is bringing them on firstly and then, then letting them go? I think uh, maybe tackle the, the harder one first, you know. I think, honestly, uh, I think I've always lived my life, you know, um, personally and professionally with honesty. And I think if you're honest with people, in fact, my uh, my daughter's actually dating a, a startup CEO. He's, he's, he's only 20 years old. He raised money from Y Combinator. And one of his co-founders, he recently had to let go. And, and I was always like, you know, just, just meet them as a friend and just, you know, talk to them through what the issues are and have that sort of conversation. Treat them, you know, treat them, you know, real, treat them as real people and understand the issues they've got. Say, look, this is, this is the challenges we have. This is where we're at. Um, you know, and, and, and this is what, what I'm, I'm, I'm left with and, and it's nothing to do with you. Just, you know, and just uh, reinforce what a great experience it's been and you'd be happy to support them, you know, with and new jobs, references, you can call me anytime. And, and I think just, just dealing, dealing with them that way is, is, is the only way to do it really. Um, and, and then uh, in, in bringing people on, I, 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 again, it's sincerity. Uh, and honestly, if you really do believe like in this business that we, we, we you know, it's, it's going to, it's going to make us, you know, fun fundamental change uh and uh, it just comes across naturally um I, you know i've had people work me and say you know you were just so enthusiastic about it and and that, that was infectious and I, I think that uh uh you know that, that comes across when you talk to people and i mean you know it's one of my favorite sayings in business is, is think strategic but act tactically and you know what that means to me is like okay what is our mission what's our goal and my goal is have a million salespeople use this um, on a daily basis so a million salespeople we charge 25 dollars a month that's 25 million dollars a month in Revenue. So if you extrapolate that out to 12 months, you know, that's 300 million in revenue and 10x in terms of a software company. That's a $3 billion company. So that's back at the end of it. But that sounds great, right? But how are you going to get there? You know, what are you going to do today that's going to make get you to that vision? I mean, how many emails are you going to send out? What, you know, I always ask myself at the end of every day, you know, what have I done today? Did I set up a meeting? Have I got calls set up? Did I, did I, did I record? Whatever have I done to move it closer? So that's the acting tactically, tactically bit um, of it. So it's all, I mean, I see a lot of startup CEOs and, you know, when I invest in companies, they've, you know, they've got this great vision, but then, you know, it's funny. I, there was one guy, I was actually, he was a, a CEO of a company and I'd, I'd meet him for a coffee every few months. And he actually, he was a great product guy. He built a really good product and it'd been, it took him like 18 months to build it and he released it and he'd been out two weeks and he didn't know how to get customers. He's like, oh, maybe I'll just give up. I said, hold on a second. You spent 18 months building this product. You've actually taken it to market in two weeks. You think you're closing it down because you've got no users. so they don't have a go-to-market strategy it's bizarre people love the building of the products but they don't you know do the execution you know so uh you know so it is it's always an interesting it is an interesting sort of dichotomy that you can find in in people's and i've even found like you get sort of phases like same way as you have like stages of a rocket you have a group of a particular personality that's uh they love the they love the zero to one million Right. And then you've got another, mm-hmm. another group that they love 10 to 50 million. And that sort of those phases and stages that they go through, it's funny. You can see them because they start to get itchy, you know, like, oh, we've had 75 million. And you're like, shouldn't this right, be the right. most exciting thing in the world? They're like, no, I love coming into turmoil and disarray and creating a machine. Right. And that's their sort of thing. And others are like, they went to all this trouble. Like you said, he spent 18 months building this product. And he's like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to be taking off. You're like, look, 
seriously is there are you know movies that are shorter than this like you you, right, you, right, you, right. you couldn't even binge watch game of thrones in the time you've been in market don't give up now right. <laughs> yeah. but that's his his attention was to he would gladly put 18 months into the build and feel he's being productive and then the next person yeah. you have to find the match for that for somebody who's willing to like say whatever it takes to get that first person to license it and buy it and that's their yeah. excitement and then do that over and over again yeah i mean i told him i said hey listen if you, you don't want to take the market why don't you find a, a buyer someone that would incorporate well and just you know go work with them and stuff so uh, i should remind i should check in on and see how he's doing <laughs> yeah well that's and it's an interesting thing too because sometimes that's just very much the right answer and, and quite often uh, you know, I've, I've got friends who are, are, are going through you know, a couple of different companies that, and they're at different sort of phases. And, and it's really interesting to watch this as they get sometimes to that point where they're like, look, the growth is, is, you know, is good, but it's, it's flatting, flattening. Uh, so, hey, you know, now's a good time to look for a strategic opportunity. And those Strategics could be simply, you know, sharing markets, you know, with somebody else going into market together, partnering up or ultimately leading to a, hey, it would be really nice if we all had the same email address <laughs> and, and mm -hmm. looking mm -hmm. for a buyer. Um, so it's, it is, it is neat. And I'm excited that you've, you've been able to, to see many, many sides of that. And thank you. God, I, I, I guess I could spend all day talking to you. I will definitely, I'd love to bring you back and, and kind of dive into a couple more of the stories. I want to thank you for, for sharing with me today for folks that definitely want to get involved and see. Uh, so jump in, take a look at let's chat chat. We didn't really get a chance. I, I always tell people, I'm like, look, these are not sponsored podcasts. If I'm excited about what you're doing, I'm going to talk about it. And that's why I, I bring people on. So you've, you've told a lot of great stories. Uh, thank you. Uh, with that, Ankish, let's remind people again, how do they get a hold of you and where can they keep track of, of what you're doing in the world? Yeah, um, uh, best is LinkedIn. Um, so, you know, I'm at uh, LinkedIn.com. Uh, I think it's Ankish.com. Sorry, Ankish Kumar. Uh, uh, so you just find me on LinkedIn. And my email is Ankish at letschat.chat. And, um, you know, if any of your listeners, are, we, we, are, we are only looking for three to five users this year, um, uh, not, not to charge. I want to spend time building the product out. So if any of your listeners would like to be an early adopter uh, at no charge as well, um, uh, you know, my, my goal is to build a really good product love the customer to death uh, this year and next year before we really roll roll it out mainstream so uh that's there's an offer for, for your listeners if anyone's interested excellent well i will make sure to to spread the word in my own network as well and and i'll, I'll post that up in in the in the show notes as well so thank you ankesh for for doing that again folks if you like this uh you know visit let's chat chat if you like the podcast please do subscribe and rate us if you can uh please uh, the more ratings we get it always helps us to get bumped up and the more of you that like it the more other folks we can introduce to some of these great conversations uh and of course go to disco posse podcast dot com and, and find all the show notes with that we're going to close up for today ankesh thank you very much we'll talk again soon thank and you for everybody else uh we'll see you next week you're listening to the disco Posse podcast